Welcome, everyone, to Cynodome's newest podcast, Cinephiliacs. I'm your co-host, Daniel Scott DeJess, and with me is my co-host... AK. Hey, guys. How you doing, AK? I'm doing great. A few hours of sleep. You brought me coffee. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. That's a good thing. You're a savior. It's a good thing I like you. Hey, AK, we have a guest today. Did you know that? Mm-mm. You didn't? Who is it? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm very excited to introduce this person. Um, they are a personal friend of mine. It is the great Brie Spieldenner. Hello, hello, everyone. How are you doing today? Great, great. How are you doing? I am doing A-OK, AK. See what I did there? Yes. Ah, I am hilarious. Uh, AK, did you know that Brie uh, has production designed uh, five feature films in her first year? I did not know she that. Production design five feature films. That's actually really impressive. And she Thank co-hosts you. her own horror movie podcast, as yes. well as being Letterbox famous. Do you know what Letterbox is? Uh, yes, I do. Good, because um, uh, nowadays, if you are some type of cinephiliac, you should probably know what Letterbox is. That's um, a new hot thing. Why don't, you, why don't you, since you're Letterbox famous, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Letterbox and why why it can be helpful for trying to f- find movies? I should I should say. Okay, top ten reasons why everyone should have a Letterbox. Uh, so Letterbox is basically like a tracking app for films. Um, it you know allows you to. Uh, log when you watch a film put what you like as a film make lists and whatnot but it's also kind of like social media as well so people can make reviews make lists that can gain notoriety with people and that is why i particularly am letterbox famous i made a list a few years ago that just became unreasonably famous on tiktok so now i'm living in fame i don't know how to do it you know it's hard <laughs> i have to hide my face on the streets i didn't even recognize you I, with with I the know. glasses yeah. you're doing a great job thank you it's like clark kent <laughs> well i think it was like i was listening to a uh, a cia someone that worked at the cia uh and they were talking about literally like what you see in marvel movies when they do like the sunglasses <laughs> and the cap that is like the first degree uh, or the first like level one of of hiding or like identity concealment is that is covering your hair yeah or like changing your look very quickly which is like so marvel movies even though it's now become like a cliche of like oh i need to hide it actually works it worked on me just putting glasses on yeah very effective (laughs) so uh brie why don't you just tell us how you got started in the film industry i uh when i was in college i didn't go to a film school necessarily. I was doing film studies, which isn't exactly the same as film, but I wanted to get into film. At the moment, I was thinking I wanted to do screenwriting. Now I would never want to do screenwriting. Oh, thank God I did not continue with that. But um, at the time, I was thinking about how I would get into the industry, and so what I did was I sent a lot of emails to production companies in this area because I went, which is St. Petersburg, because I went to college here and asked if they had any opportunities for someone to basically, you know, like intern or be there and learn on some days. And I was emailed back by a production company and was able to intern there for a few years and kind of work my way up and eventually getting paid jobs and leading to where I am now, basically. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, why did you not, uh, like screenwriting? (laughs) What was, what was the turnoff for you? Uh, I just don't think that I'm a strong writer. And I think that anyone who knows me knows that I have a very particular way of speaking. I don't speak like regular people, I guess. And so when I was in college and I actually took a screenwriting class, people would always critique my work and say, no one speaks like this. And I would say, oh, well, I speak like that. But I guess regular people don't speak like that. So that's kind of what turned me off. Um, I, I just don't think that I have like what it takes to be a screenwriter, basically. But I do still like doing journalistic writing, which is kind of a more simple form of writing as opposed to making stories. Yeah, because you actually did you did some writing for iHorror. Yes. Do you yeah. still do that? I do, yeah. Okay, cool. I don't do it as much just because writing on in the internet is a very hard 
uh, way to make a living, especially. It's yeah. kind of nice to just do like a, for fun. Uh, because when I was growing up, I actually used to read I Whore and Bloody Disgusting, and I kind of like worship them. So nowadays, I work for I Whore more as like just for fun, basically. But I write a, a lot of reviews for them. I go to film festivals for them and review new horror films coming out mostly is what I do for them. That's awesome. Did you ever meet um, some gentlemen? Do you know Kevin Beganovich? And, I do know him, And yeah. um, Sloan? Because I know that they were doing, I feel like they were doing a, a horror podcast for like a very brief, I don't know, I feel like. Um, I know I know Kevin which, if you're familiar, obviously, with him, you know he's very much into horror as well yeah. with the practical effects and effects he does. Yeah, so mm-hmm. Kevin, guys, is a uh, special effects artist. Shout out, Kevin. Beganovich. <laughs> That's it? I thought you were going to... You, you started out like you were going to start with something. Yeah, like, in our area. So Kevin is... and you He's a special... Go on. I didn't say it. Spe- well, he's a special effects artist. No, but like, there's like... Kevin in is... Florida. You're going to start with like three sentences, maybe, really quick. That's all he is. On that and he's, subject, a, he's a great guy too. Uh, I actually do special effects makeup as well, and that oh, was okay. what I really wanted to do after I decided I was not going to do screenwriting for a long time. I wanted to do special effects makeup, and I still actually do that a lot too. I never really got a chance to. Well, I'm still young, so who knows? But uh, right now, I work with uh, Carl Huber, who is. I've heard of him. I was about to be like, "Do you know Carl? <laughs> <laughs> do I know Carl? We're just besties." Um, but yeah, we work pretty often with each other, so he's kind of like a mentor to me, which is really awesome. Yeah, we shouted him out on a previous podcast because he worked on a uh, on Jerome Bowers yeah. set mm-hmm. for the the practicals there. Um, it wasn't makeup, but it was practical gunshots. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he already got another shout out. So Carl, yeah. two shout outs within <laughs> five episodes. I think you're doing pretty well. You're gonna yeah. have to be on the next. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> honestly, we why aren't you get, here, girl? <laughs> we'll Carl is—he's honestly a really amazing guy. Um, locally, I think that there's no one else really in this area who's doing special effects work to his levels. But he doesn't—he's a very unassuming guy. So you fired Kevin. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Kevin, I love get him. on Carl's level. Come on. <laughs> um, so Bree, I have a question for you. With being like as a production designer, um, and art direction, what do you think? makes art or the art aesthetic um, so important in a film or in movies today? Well, art, I do feel, is one of the most overlooked aspects of a film. Most of the time, people pay attention to the acting or directors when it comes to film. No one really ever cares about the production design, but even though they don't... Not me. Not me. (laughs) Even though they don't, like, outright say it, most art really adds to a film because without art you can't have a film you can't have good cinematography because art is really what helps you zero in your cinematography and i've seen films that have fantastic cinematography but have no art behind it so Mm -hmm. it just looks completely bland in the grand scheme of things looks like flat exactly something like that yeah it's it's funny to me because i think about the same way like it always seems like a dp wants to create obviously layers in their in their composition in the scene uh and it's like how else do you do that other than your art director and production designer coming in and being like oh we can put this in the background and obviously this fits the characters of the story depending on what location they're at or what the character's personality is Mm -hmm. um well if you think about yeah so if you think about like what you just said with with layers you know you have the stage the location right then you have art department, the texture, you know, creating, you know, set dressing, whatever furniture, decor, art that is going to be there. Um, And then you have the lighting, you know, finessing that. And then you have the cinematography, the movement through the the space. So Mm -hmm. I 100 percent agree. Um, A lot of times um, production design is a an afterthought. You know, it's on the same level of I would say visual effects. You know, it's it's um, production design and visual effects are some of the last things, yeah. I, I think, on the indie level to really be prioritized. Yeah, but the sad thing is that at least with VFX, you can do that afterwards, whereas production design and art, you have to think about that beforehand. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have someone thinking about that beforehand, yeah, SOL. Yeah, why do you think on lower, usually what I've seen with the sets I've worked on and and maybe that you've worked on too, on these lower budget movies, 
Um, why do you think art is basically kind of lower priority? I guess the sometimes it feels like that. Maybe you you could agree or disagree, but from from perspectives that I've seen, it feels like sometimes art is on a lower priority. Yeah, I and I totally agree with that. I've definitely been disrespected on a lot of sets until I've proven that I'm not meant to be disrespected on a set. But I think that often it is just like what you said. A lot of directors have no idea what to do with art at all. Um, and I encounter that all the time where they just don't think about things like that. And so they don't understand that there's even difference between some things like costume and art. Uh, and also, you know, once again, like saving money, that's the first thing that you don't think about. Or people think that, oh, I can just have like a PA, like move furniture around or whatever. Um, and also art is uh, usually like a feminine thing and it's a female dominated field and females in the film industry are often overlooked. In all ways, but yeah. in art especially. Yeah, no, it was it was interesting. I was just on a commercial recently, and like majority of like the the crew, other than like maybe your well the the majority of like the art crew, I guess you should say, or not the art crew, but the camera crew. So like sound was was male, uh, DP was male, director was male, executive producer was male. The clients were were female, and the but then the art, the, the art person they had, the set designer, production designer, kind of like all in one for the commercial, was female. And it mm -hmm. was kind of like the main female, only female kind of involved in the actual input of like what's going to be kind of seen on camera. Other than talent, there was there was obviously the, some, of the, some of the talent was female too, but in terms of behind the scenes. Yeah. So I feel like we kind of, we kind of unfortunately see that a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's definitely made progress at least, but... In terms of how long the film industry has been going yeah. and the minimal progress we've made, it's not enough of a percentage yeah. that it could be and should be. Mm. Well, actually, funny thing, um, when film started out in the 1920s and beforehand, there were more female directors than ever before in uh, history up until this moment. And even now, like in the 20s and beforehand, there were more female directors ever. So why do you think that changed then? Because the men had a grip on them, ah. that is what happened. Uh, specifically, like, with the production code being introduced, it, which, if anyone isn't familiar with film history, it was kind of people decided that films needed to not be as lewd and, you know, with immoral things happening in them. So they decided to kind of self-regulate themselves. And from that point on, you weren't allowed to have, like, things like drugs or sex or anything that was kind of morally ambiguous in them. Unless so. it was like tobacco or like cigarettes, probably like what they may have been selling. I, maybe, maybe even I don't know. smoking, I think was kind of like, unless was it, it was a villain. Gotcha. Like the main character had to be good and he couldn't do anything that was like perceived as bad in most films. That's interesting that it was like taken. Oh, I mean, interesting that it's like surprised, but also not surprised that it was like taken control of. Right. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah. Man, always gotta have input. So, qu question: <laughs> yeah. Why, why don't you? Th hey, we don't need your input. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. So, um, why don't you think there has been um, more? I don't know, um, like workshops about. It's funny because there's like that. I'm thinking about it. Film festivals that I go to. You know, or even on YouTube channels. You know, generally they're always focusing on cinematography, lighting, directing. Like, it would be, one, why? And, you know, have you ever thought of doing something like that? Like, these are five things that you can do to really spruce up your art, you know, your art department or production design on a really low budget, you know. In terms of, like, getting into cinematography? Or... No, 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 I mean, like... Um, you know, putting on a workshop or having, you know, a, a, a you, like YouTube videos on production, on doing what you do. Um, cause I haven't, I haven't seen that. Like it's not actively advertised, um, being promoted. And I think that that is an opportunity to, um, you know, cause it's really, if you can, if you can get to the forefront of filmmakers, of their mind to do that type of thing, then um, they're probably more likely to prioritize it, 
mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. it's interesting how there's no. Right. You don't see like videos or articles. I mean, I feel like the only recognition we get, we get mm-hmm. that art gets and like a film is like when an award, right? Like award ceremony comes around, whether it's yeah. costumes or, you know, set designer. And a lot of times that's like the ones that win are like period pieces. Oh yeah. Because mm-hmm. for sure. Oh, look at this uh, set design and costumes are everywhere. Like, right. Yeah, well, because it had to be. It was a period yeah. piece. But you don't really see, like, at least, and I, I can't say I've done, like, a deep dive into this, but you don't really see, you, like you're saying, YouTube videos or articles that are praising this or going into deep diving of, like, how to grow the art direction or, like, improve your art direction yeah, and- or, or how impactful it can be. I'm yeah. sure that that does exist. It's just not you know, as looked as something as simple as like cinematography or camera stuff, just because of the sheer volume of people in that field. Mm -hmm. Like YouTube has everything. So I'm sure that there's definitely (laughs) a lot of production design videos that already exist. But, you know, I'm sure like I've watched a few too. Like I, there's one in particular, I remember watching um, the production design of Christopher Nolan's Inception and you know then watching those videos it does make you like look at films in a different way and you're like wow that really was a beautiful set I didn't even consider that or like there was a film that I watched recently a horror film called The Sadness which is a Taiwanese film but it's Mm. like extremely gory one of the most disturbing films I've ever seen and there is oh yeah it's very good Um, and it took place during COVID it's kind of like a zombie movie and there's a scene on a subway and a scene in a hospital and um, reading about it afterwards, I found out that the subway set and the hospital set were entirely built because they couldn't shoot in those locations because of COVID. And that's not something that I would have ever have considered watching the film because it looks so natural. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people probably just assume that production design is like, I arrived to a location and it is done. Right. You know, they don't consider like all yeah. the work that probably went into that location to make it like that. Yeah. I mean, just on a couple of films I've worked with you on in terms of like, you know, where my role was in the camera department and I would show up and obviously like, we're like, oh, it's done. Like for the most part or had been pre-done yeah. because you and, 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 and other people were hard at work trying to make these places all ready to go and, and these amazing set pieces so that we can come in as the camera department and then bring it, like, and then kind of the next step of bringing it to life, right? Like, yeah, exactly. If you don't put in that effort of bringing, of, of, bringing the energy out of this environment then it, it like you're saying it makes the cinematography more dull mm-hmm. you know you can light it really well you can co- do your framing and composition mm-hmm. as as you know smooth as you 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 like but if there's not that dy- something dynamic in the shot yeah that adds to it with with your talent or even without talent especially that it It'll get something. It just like feels flat or lost. Mm-hmm. So, question: When you walked on um, today's podcast set, did you think this is cool? <laughs> I thought that a lot of work was done, you know, yeah. to make this a very nice looking set. <laughs> Thank you. This fridge in particular, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. is very beautiful. We and had really that, adds a lot of we to had the that feng shui. Well, if you saw the first option, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, just uh, yeah, just keep hanging hey. on that first option. Yeah, well, you know, so Dan, Dan, <laughs> you know, Dan puts in a lot of work for this this uh this podcast, and and uh, he provides empty rooms. Um, so I provided a room. It was I a- did I did my job <laughs> up to that point. I, got I show the room. I got you a room, man. And I from the art direction point, this guy was like. Mm. Yeah, I was like, well, it just... There was nothing on the walls, okay? There weren't anything on the walls. There was literally zero set dressing. (laughs) It was was a table. It was this table, two couches, and my microphone. I mean, I felt like... I mean, it it was, you know... So instead, we're on the set of uh, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Yeah. Um, It's actually the sound with all of us. You know, obviously, if you're speaking closer into the... The microphone. You can overtake the birds. You can. So everyone just lean. No, don't. don't. <laughs> did, I just, did I just peek it? I've already, I've already mixed you, man. <laughs> so if I move closer, I just have to speak quieter. It's actually, it sounds good. So you can like, bear. Hello. Hi. That was probably creepy. Speaking of creepy, you're obviously a niche <laughs> horror fan. <laughs> hey, like that segue. That was good. That was really good. Um, 
Uh, so what got you to be a fan of horror in the first place? That's a tough question. I don't know what That's the... That's it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the inciting incident was. I do know that the first horror movies that I ever truly loved were the Saw films. Before that, I think I was scared of horror movies. And then I saw Saw, and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever witnessed in my entire life. And I don't think that my life has really changed since then. But Saw was the pinnacle. Um, just, like, you know, in terms of art direction, uh, the the look of the saw films are fantastic like that rust that like degradation that it's you know that's something that is like you don't think about that being art direction but that that's total art direction yeah um especially and, in that first film that i mean obviously set everything off and most of the majority of it was done in that one room yeah that for sure art direction had to be very one a priority and very on point yeah to, to sell that film yeah totally and that's something that i think about a lot when it comes to art is that uh you know for the saw films especially there's a lot of things especially with the production design of it that had to be specific because of how the plot unfolds like there had to be a window in there that's uh you can see through um the toilet had to be a certain way because of what happens in the film so you always have to think through problems through art and that's another reason why i really like similar to saw like survival films because you as an audience member always want to find a solution to something so in art it's something that you have to think about how to not find a solution to something like uh, another film i recently saw was the black phone Mm-hmm. Which is about a child yeah. locked in a basement. And see, yes, that's a great film. Ethan Hawke. I, 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 I met him at Sundance few, uh, nice. few, few years. Few <laughs> years. He's a super nice guy. He had a huge beard. He had a huge beard. <laughs> Snap a fun fact. <laughs> Ethan Hawke. Nice beard. But yeah, during the film, the whole time I was like, why doesn't the kid do this? Why doesn't the kid do that? Right. And that, to me, is kind of a failing of art direction uh, because it's like you need to yeah. think through those problems and think, like, how can an audience believably, you know, work their way out of the situation? So, long story short, going back to the original question, <laughs> I have always really loved gore, I guess. Yeah. So that became that became my driving force for horror and than just, you know, the adrenaline adrenaline rush from that afterwards. Do you feel like horror movies can have too much gore? Like, is there, like, a level where even you, like, you're a fan of gore that you're, like... It's a stupid question. Not only am I a gore fan, (laughs) but I am also an an (laughs) anti-censorship person, so I do not believe there is a limit. Unless it's, like, a snuff film, I guess. You know, if someone is actually getting hurt, I do not support that. But... I have always been a fan of really extreme films, and I've always sought out, like, the most disturbing films ever made and whatnot, and, you know, I used to think that they were really bad films, but now looking back, I'm like, they're actually really good films. Like, a Serbian film is actually a really well-made film, and, like, the story behind it is actually really well-made, but a lot of people will never, like, admit that because of how disturbing it is. So, uh, question, why is it, you you know, we, we all know you like blood. Yes. But um, what is it about other than the blood aspect that really uh, drives you towards the horror genre as a production designer? It, do you find that, you know, horror genre sets, like they they lend themselves stylistically in some way to... Did you read my questions, man? No, man, I just like, I'm, <clears throat> I'm just reacting. I'm having a dialogue right here. So... <laughs> I think that what I really, another thing I really like about horror films is that they tend to be very counter culture um, and transgressive. Got a lot it. of them are. So I'm always really. I didn't think of that. I'm always really attracted to films that are like that, that are not about like the typical heteronormative uh, nuclear American family. Something that's kind of challenging that idea and showing different aspects of wherever a film takes place. And I also find that horror films, more than any, are very good at revealing a country's certain moment of history or a mm. specific mindset of a culture, of people, and societal things that lend itself to that. So that's another reason why I really like horror films. So do you think, uh, as I'm like obviously like a very avid, you know, average or avid horror fan in that aspect compared to you, so, do you think it's more interesting if horror movies kind of took, like, historic or, like, history 
kind of on its twist. Like if they took a horror, blah 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 blah. If they took a historic event and decided to input like horror elements into that telling, um, there's a cat. Everyone, my one of one of my cats is. Well, I uh, just what freaked me out. I was like, okay, black cat, and it looks like it doesn't have a nose. <laughs> so well, yeah, it, it's like a burn. It's a oh, in, oh perfect. It's an indoor outdoor cat. Uh, so it's gone through. Yeah, hey, <laughs> gone through. Nope. nope. He's oh, a God. fighter. Uh, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> she's she's not a. Uh, she likes to be pet, but she doesn't like to be held or jumped on. So, hundred don't jump on it. You can relax. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, maybe, maybe I was I was in it. I was in it, and then the cat <laughs> yeah. the cat talk distracted. What's, it's so I think I think yeah. what you were saying is like taking horror films, adding history to them, and then you had probably more to say, but <laughs> no, but that, I mean that was the <laughs> the basis of it was. Do you think? One that's done, uh, and two, if not, that that would be a way of kind of using horror in the way that it was just kind of being, like you said, countercultural or, or satire to current society, right? Yeah, so I think that there's two ways to view that. Uh, one, on a just flat aspect of it, I think that there are they are really cool horror films that in- incorporate history into them, like a lot of war films particularly. Uh, there's a film called Frankenstein's Army that I think is pretty cool. It's about like World War One, and then like a crazy scientist who's creating like these robot uh, zombie creatures. Or, um, hmm, I'm sure that there's a lot of others that I could be thinking about. Yeah, did you uh, see Suspiria oh, is a the new Suspiria is a good one because it's about <laughs> not to say the old one isn't good. I'm just a huge fan of the new Suspiria movie. I think it's one of the best movies ever made. Interesting. That directly incorporates aspects of the Berlin Wall falling into its history and kind of Cold War politics that okay. I think is really interesting. But on a separate aspect, I think that a film doesn't necessarily have to be about a, a specific historical event to kind of incorporate elements of history into it. For instance, going back to Saw, Saw is 100% a post-9-11 horror movie. Well, actually, I think it did come out a little bit before it, but it's directly kind of commenting on American torture of mm. specifically after post-9-11, like right. Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a bunch of movies came out during that time that were specifically like incorporating elements of that like the hostel movies um and i think that is very interesting because nowadays you don't really see films like that come out like saw um and they weren't really coming out before that either that was like a very specific moment of time that uh influenced those films that's it that's really i never thought of that before that's really i just thought of it as uh, horror movies so that's that's really cool right like Taking a deeper dive. Taking a deeper dive into, you know, seeing, hearing the connections of, you know, political, I don't know, trends or, and how that influences the genre. Well, the first, the, one of the first zombie films, right? In terms of the, that like the, the more impactful one was just like, it wasn't even like the, the gore zombies we have in terms of eating or things like that. It was just that we were like, as a society, like, yeah dead you know like we weren't living we felt like a a dead people whether it was with our technology or with our whatever you know whatever we were into at that time and that movie came out i mean i i I don't know but it was it was it wasn't recent you know what i mean and it's and i feel like that movie is still applicable to even today have you seen um yet the new last of us show have you been following i haven't yet i'm waiting until it comes out fully because i know that i'm gonna love the show so i'm gonna (laughs) want all the episodes at once yeah well i won't spoil anything and um thank you yeah (laughs) um it's a great show um as a as a little little segue um uh pedro pascal it's like how is this the guy's in everything what's his name they said pedro is that not his name I'll let you just keep going. Pedro Pascal. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I didn't hear an L the first time. I yeah. Heard, I heard Ped. Ped. You were like Pedro. Pedro Pascal. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, like, I throw an accent. I try. I try and respect the the culture. <laughs> All right. Sorry to interrupt your your great thought. Yeah. But they, anyways, they call him like the he's like the modern age Harrison Ford because he's like he's not. What's crazy is he's not like advertised, but he's in everything. Yeah. Yeah. He's in That's so. Interesting. You know. Mm-hmm. Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was in. Anyways, he's just. We're not even going to get into it. Yeah, but no, I mean Pedro, you're it, crushing it. Right he now. has become <laughs> one of like one of the top 
I, one, I mean, one, he's a really good actor uh, mm-hmm. and talented. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was really unknown until his th- like late thirties, and then he landed the role of the Game of Thrones, Oberyn Martell on Game yeah. of Thrones, and that set off. Yeah. Oh, and wow. so well, after that, he's now been like, I mean, he's like you're talking about. He's the Mando. He's he was yeah. the villain in uh in One Woman Two. He's yeah. He was in, Wasn't uh, he Nicolas in this Cage movie? You know, uh, the, the massive talent. Yeah, massive talent of Nicolas Cage, and it was like a great like to me. I'm like that's a perfect pairing because Pedro yeah. can do this comedic and yeah and and uh, obviously he can do horror suspense and, and but back drama. to back to Last of Us. I'm interested in you know hopefully in the future we can get you on the show again after you've seen the show, um, and talk about. I would love to hear your input on. You know, because it is, it's, well, it's, I mean, it's like sci-fi, but there's definitely horror aspects of it with the, the zombies, but these zombies aren't virus related, they're, uh, it's fungus. Mm. So yeah. it, it, it's going to be, I'd love to hear your input yeah. on, like, what do you think are the political or themes that are kind of driving mm. that genre versus... Well, I have played the yeah. game, um, and I do really love the game. I don't know if I have a thought on it just now, since you just brought it up. But <laughs> <laughs> considering the game, yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. the the film or the show is a little different. But I do love the the de- design of the zombies. I think it's like very unique and cool. Yeah, I mean, so far, I've, I've, like every episode has been praised. I mean, they're only on episode three, and everyone was like. Wow, episode one, so good. Episode yeah. two, oh, it was better. Episode yeah. Three, oh my gosh, like. <laughs> yeah. And and not saying it's not, I haven't watched it, but I'm saying like every episode is getting the amount of praise from people that have played the video game and people that haven't, and yeah. obviously that's showing a very successful show when mm-hmm. you're not curating it just towards the the video game fans or the source material fans mm-hmm. in any you know in any media yeah. and also non-source material fans for sure. So I guess if I. Thinking about it a little bit more, perhaps since it is like a more nature-dependent zombie, it could be a basic, you know, nature fighting back, kind of taking over again situation, especially since we live in a very tumultuous time in terms of nature and the environment. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, with with everything, with all the changes that happen almost every day uh, in the environment, it's, it's like that could have you know like there's always like i mean i think that's part of it too right a successful uh (laughs) tree (laughs) things are happening talking about nature (laughs) yeah tree branches or leaves are falling right now we're we're literally being attacked uh anyway i I think that's kind of an also an impact of horror in that aspect too is like it's nature itself can be horrifying yeah and I think that lends itself to the the horror genre too. In this case, with The Last of Us, where like we said, it's fungi and mm-hmm. not this like disease, right? Yeah. There's not necessarily a it's vaccine. Not human, ma- yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just jumping back to the horror aspect, and you and you talked about it a little bit with Saw, especially. But do you agree that art, uh, and and do you agree that art is more important in horror films than in any other genre i wouldn't say it's necessarily more important uh because art is present in all films so i don't think you know it's necessary for me to say that it's more important in specifically horror films but you have to consider that like a lot of art is going to be used in horror films, especially to make an effective horror film. Like when you think about great things about horror films, you think about one of, you know, some of the most cool props used. Like you think of Saw, you think of like the bear trap thing. Oop, hit the mic. Okay. Uh, and, or like, you'll think about like um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, his, his uh, chainsaw, yeah. you know, stuff like that. So, and if you don't think about those things ahead of time, then you'll have a really boring prop that you're going to use. Like, you'll use a kitchen knife or something. But I think probably more than that, like, sci-fi films are very dependent on art. So if you don't have, like, good art in sci-fi films or horror films, then you're going to make a subpar film in either of those genres. Uh, you good? We're just getting some, it's every, every now and then we're getting some interference with something going on. So the moment I cover it up, it's just, you know, it's protection. All right. (laughs) Always use protection, guys. Especially when you're recording audio. Yeah. I had another question. 
Yes. Uh, oh, that's what it was. Uh, so obviously there was a lot of hype over the like the last six months of the two movies, uh, X and Pearl. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if one if you had seen them. Uh, and if you had, what were your thoughts on them? Because I, I had heard some praise about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pearl, more so than, than X. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the impact that I've heard, again, over like the last six months about this movie. Uh, and I was just curious to get your thoughts in terms of, obviously, it falls into the horror genre. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I haven't seen it. But if you need to like, go, I'm saying I don't care about spoilers in terms okay. of this. But go ahead. Well, I would hate to spoil whoever yeah, is listening bad. to this but i have seen them um as is i try to at least always see like big horror movies or you know what i hear are the best horror movies in a given year i always try to challenge myself to see how many horror films i could see but um i really enjoyed them i've i've been a huge fan of the main star mia goth for a really long time she was originally in a Lars von Trier movie called Nymphomaniac, and I've been obsessed with her ever since. Um, I also have been, have been a huge fan of that director, Ty West. He's kind of huge in the horror genre. Um, he's done a lot of other films before, House of the Devil, The Sacrament. So he's, to me, he's a big name, but this is already, like, this is really, like, you know, put him into stardom, which is really great. But I really like the films. Um, one... They are great in terms of art direction, as we've been talking. The first one, X, is entirely trying to be kind of 70s, Texas Chainsaw Massacre themed, and really taking that as its art direction and cinematography as well. Whereas Pearl takes place in the 20s, and it's trying to kind of capture, like, um, Singing in the Rain, like, Technicolor, oh. um, musical type of vibes, which I really think is cool that they're... Yeah creating that like they're not the same style which is um awesome yeah and then he's he's also just it's come out right infinity pool yes and that's uh, with mia mia goth has been yes. in all three right she's been yeah. the the lead yes. i know she was the lead for pearl and i think she's the lead for infinity pool yes and then i didn't know about x if she was the lead in that she's mostly the lead gotcha. that's more of like an ensemble that's an ensemble yeah. okay but Infinity Pool is different director. Uh, oh, okay. Brandon Cronenberg, the son of David Cronenberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I think that movie is brilliant. Um, I don't want to curse on your podcast, but no, movie is great. <laughs> uh, I've seen it twice already, and I am. I don't know if I need to see any other films from this year because that film was just like really fantastic for me. But all three of them. I, like I've been saying, I'm a big fan of transgressive cinema, stuff that's like really pushing the boundary. I'm also have always been really interested in sex and, you know, the acceptance of sex and culture. Yeah. And X is all about that, especially like it's all about because they're filming a porn. Uh, they have a porn set at this, you know, old people's house. And you think that the old people are going to be very against it. But you find out there's a little bit more to it. They're freaks. They're yeah. freaky. Yeah, but it's all about kind of, like, how we as a society, like, do and do not accept sex and all the uh, taboo that goes with it. And Infinity Pool is kind of similar in that aspect as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Let's talk about oh. sex. <laughs> Let's talk about sex. Oh, we can't do that. We might get uh, flagged. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. We, we've probably already been flagged. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, no, not just not the term sex. I'm saying, uh, well, I mean, yeah. This video wasn't made for kids. Uh, <laughs> but if you like sing a tune nowadays mm-hmm. and uh, you post it and say, th- oh, interesting. It'll, it'll tag it and be like, that's copyright if you sing it for too long. So happy wow. birthday. Wow. Happy birthday, we're fine because happy birthday is in the yeah. public domain. So you didn't used to be. You couldn't even sing happy birthday on it. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, fun little, fun little well, anecdote. Thank yeah, thank yeah. you for complimenting my singing. <laughs> it's it's good enough to be flagged. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's good. It's good <laughs> enough to be flagged. That's what we should, how we should rate. Yeah. pop stars nowadays. Yeah, you're good enough to be flagged. So anyway, back to sex. Obviously, um, I think it's interesting how like we make sex look one way, like this. Obviously, smooth, like with its maybe like the James Bond movies, right? Like he's always getting with that that woman, and it's sexy and everything like that. And then in other ways, it's like the times where we make it this kind of rough and dirty and unacceptable mm-hmm. and kind of like that fine line. So I think it's interesting if that. Well, even movie... talking about sex as an aesthetic, you yeah. know, like how maybe it's not even, you know, at the forefront 
of a plot, but how like the tone of sex, how that's approached in the backdrop of of movies. For sure. You know, the the difference. So yeah. X, you know, one way versus James Bond, which is very, you know, very kind of classy, sexy. Yeah. yeah. Type well, of way. I think in general now sex is completely taboo, mostly in my opinion because of the Disneyfication of the entire film industry, which is caused by Disney owning almost everything that has to do with film and people only watching films that are created by Disney. Disney has an agenda and they want to keep things as generally audience friendly as possible. Yeah. And that to them, the first thing they cut is sex. And that's why in Marvel movies, there is no sex except for the Eternals, which no one watched. Yeah. Yeah. And now because Disney is in charge of the film industry, almost all films don't really include sex anymore unless it's, that's an, a inter- that's an interesting thing. comment. Yeah. Well, it's also, it's also just to like Disney definitely is trying to just, you know, supply to all, all types of audience for mm-hmm. obviously in all ages and all demographics, but there's also like the international demographic, which is interesting to me. Cause I feel like there's more and tell me if I'm wrong, but you're wrong the, <laughs> uh, that I've seen that there's more like whether it's horror or sex or things like that of those risque kind of themes in international movies, sometimes at least in Europe, Europe yeah. movies, European movies, mm-hmm. um, than here in the U.S., but then also you do have other countries that are like China and other yeah. in other box offices that have become, you know, China's like the second biggest yeah. box box office in the world. And if you want to get your movie in there to get that money, you have to meet their demands. Meet not their well, yeah, meet their demands. Really, I mean, the, in terms of getting their move, cultural getting the movie into guidelines, it. right? And so, yeah. and Disney taking that on as well as also like trying to play that trying to play that line of like what you know how to be open to all audiences but then obviously not really pander to the the audiences that china doesn't like yeah or that you know london doesn't like or russia or whatever those all are and that's why you have like various different cuts of movies sometimes and mm. scenes specifically filmed to be put in oh this is going to release this version is going to release in the u.s so this is going to include this scene yeah oh this is being released in china so we're going to film this scene and put it for the china version yeah mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I agree. I think there's a certain aspect from just catering to, you know, it's a business, right? So you're every year you're trying to grow numbers, right? So when you think of scale, you're thinking, okay, how can we, you know, I guess be as widely acceptable across cultures, you Mm -hmm. know, um, in order to make the most amount of money. And so with that, I think, you know, the, the, the larger the net that you create, um, you probably run the risk of, of losing a sense of voice um, alo- along the way. And yeah. so now we're, yeah. you know, a lot of stuff that just comes out from, I, I mean, I, I do enjoy the, uh, the kids stuff, having a, a kid myself, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I, I agree. I think the more adult the content that's created from Disney, it does start to become less, uh, you know, specific yeah. in, in what, you know, um, what it's representing. Yeah. And another thing with a lot of, and I, I like kids movies as well. There's a lot of kids movies that I will say are fantastic movies. A lot, not recently that I've seen that I think have been really good, unfortunately, mm. especially coming from Disney. But I know for a fact that a lot of their bigger movies, you know, Marvel movies and whatnot, they have like 10, 20 people writing the scripts for those movies. So how can you make a movie for anyone if it's written by 20 people? It's completely voiceless. It's completely like yeah, I agree. sanitized. Well, right. Every vision of that writer is going to get morphed and muddled when you're combining them all, you exactly. know, and, and then you have, yeah, you have like the person overseeing it. Uh, and I am like, I'm a fan of the Marvel. Well, I, I, I'm, cause I'm a Marvel, I'm a comic fan. So like seeing it all come to the screen is great, but yeah, like the last, especially over like the last three years, especially maybe four, the movies have been like, it's just like, yeah, let's go. Like, let's get yeah. it out. And you're just like, like, this doesn't really have any taste to yeah. it there's nothing for me to chew on in this in this movie it just like yeah uh it just falls very dull mm-hmm. in you know like thor love and thunder was very 
I was disinterested. You know, it just felt very digital. Like it was yeah. weird to say like this feels digital and yeah. it feels flat and voiceless. Oh, yeah. And like talk about art direction and cinematography, oh like gosh. some of the blandest yeah. looking movies I've ever seen. <laughs> um, but that's, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Marvel movies for those reasons that we've been talking about. Um, but I do think it's very interesting that DC has kind of been taking a very opposite role because at first they were trying to do the Disney thing. They were like, yeah, Justice League, let's make our own DCEU, you know? Um, but now I think that they're like, actually, we're going to be the anti-Disney uh, with Joker and the Batman, which are like something that Disney would never, ever make. Well, and I think that's very bold and cool of them. Yeah. Did you see uh, James Gunn just did his announcement thing about his eight to 10 year plan? I don't. But I will say <laughs> the stuff he announced, some of it's very interesting mm-hmm. in terms of like, they're, they're doing Swamp Thing yeah. uh, as a movie. Although... That's cool. Which there is that Swamp Thing TV yeah. series, yes. which I heard was really good. And I yes. unfortunately haven't seen it checked it out yet it is on my list but I, yeah i heard it was canceled for unfortunate reasons which was yeah. just because it cost too much mm-hmm. um but M- i heard muddy it, water but i muddy heard water. it was really good but that being said at least they're trying to do something different and they are still keeping like those are elseworld stories so they're gonna do joker and the batman um as well you know what i mean so it'll have that at least they're le- they're leaving that dynamic yeah. You know, and Marvel's obviously not really doing that right now. Mm. Not to say DC is like the pinnacle of success because they make some decisions where I'm like, what are you doing? You're acting like you're like a crab in a boiling pot of water and you're like trying to eat all the stuff, but you know you're going to die, but like you're not going to die. I don't understand why you're <laughs> acting like you're going to die. You're one of the biggest companies that exist. But yeah, they their decision making is like, very strange to me like how they'll just cancel movies that have already been made or like continue to release a movie that like has a very controversial star that's yeah. leading it yeah I, it boggles the mind yeah it's but... very interesting i think it was just because of the the chaos that was happening uh, at the studio and hopefully they've righted the ship um in terms of bringing on peter saffron and james gunn and we'll see how that goes yeah we'll see how it goes so it'll be it it, it, it Makes it interesting, at least, um, to see where they go. Uh, and I, I think it's going to be more, maybe more interesting than maybe Marvel. And we'll yeah. see how that goes, at least for the next couple at of years. At least they have drama. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to move on to a next topic. Uh, do you think a horror Let's movie... Check these cameras real quick. Go ahead. Keep going. Do you think a horror movie will ever win uh, Best Picture or Best Director? Because, like, I feel like we... I have never really seen that happen. Yeah. Well, we and... have actually. Uh, Silence of the Lambs did win a bunch of awards the year it came out. But I do think at the same time that Hollywood has really been showing its true side recently with how elitist it's been. Um, and not to say that I don't think it'll ever happen. Like, for instance, Get Out, when that came out, it was nominated for a bunch of awards. Uh, Shape of Water is kind of a horror movie in a way, and that won Best Picture when it came out. But... For instance, like this year when they nominated or when they were really upset that Andrea Risenborough was nominated for a small indie film is like, who cares? Why can't that film be nominated, you know? Right. Um, so I think that the Oscars and the Golden Globes and all of the Hollywood-based award shows have become very elitist and very specific with what they nominate, which is very, very aggravating. Because um, there's so many movies that I've seen in the past 10 years that have really been, like, should have been nominated, but they weren't. And it's very sad, so I don't know, like, what the future is going to be like. Because right now they're so concerned with ratings and yeah. getting people to watch the show that they'll do, like anything to to get that like audience appeal and they think that the best method is to nominate these they'll nominate you know what they usually nominate which is stuffy dramas and then they'll nominate uh, one big budget movie and that for this year was avatar for some reason but <laughs> well top guns on there too yeah but yeah i get what you're meaning yeah i mean i hope to see a true like horror movie that maybe just blows everyone away even these even you know non-horror fan audiences and it somehow at some point soon you know gets up there in terms of best director best picture yeah you know but we'll see what happens yeah i think get out was a very good option for that but we'll see what happens in the future all right uh last two things yes what is something you would cut 
or you think needs to be cut from horror, the horror genre or horror films? Maybe something that gets overused or is done too much and you just don't want to see it again for 10 years. What would you, what would you say you'd like to have cut? I guess being something that still happens that is very aggravating is overly sexist slasher movies. For instance, the Terrifier movies. I love Terrifier 2, but the first Terrifier had some needless like sexism in it. Mm. Um, and that that can be very aggravating like with slashers or proto, you know, retro slashers that still kind of depend on sexist stereotypes of like oh the slutty person's gonna die and she's dumb and she's a bimbo um the slutty person should be the final girl in my opinion you know right she should be the winner in the situation so i i really like when movies uh flip those tropes but still a lot of movies still depend on very sexist or even racist tropes which is like really unfortunate so that i would say should be cut all right you hear that cut racist Mm -hmm. and sexism yes because why have it in a movie? <laughs> Seriously, like, why? Uh, all right, our last thing is, to, before we wrap, is to talk um, about a movie that you recommend that you've seen in the last 90 days. So uh, if do you need a minute to think, or would you? do you have one? I'm going to look at my letterbox all right. real quick. Uh, AK, do you have a movie that you've seen in the last 90 days that you recommend? I will, So yesterday, I just went to watch... Um, uh, the film Living um, by Sony Classics, I think. Yeah, with uh, and Bill... Bill Nye. Bill Nye. The, Bi- not the science guy. Not the science guy. <laughs> Bill Nye. Um, and it was exceptional. It was really, yeah. really it was really good. So it was recommended by a later guest today, Chris Eaton, who is a programmer and um, curator of content for a local art house here in the area, Greenlight Cinema. So... Um, it was pretty funny because when I came in, it was a 2 p.m. matinee showing, and it was I was the only young person in in the audience. So what the film is about is about this elderly gentleman, Bill Nye. Um, you know, it take the story takes place in London, and and he's the boss of this uh, news. I think it's like a newspaper or something, and it and it takes place. Um, I want to say. Um, it's not modern time. I want to say it's like 50s. It's like 50s London. Um, 50s, 60s London. It seems it's older, you know, because all, all the guys like have their like yeah, the older, bowl, their the older, bowl hats. the bowl hats. And, um, and uh, anyways, he uh, f- uh, finds out, he, he gets his test results back that his cancer has come back and he only has like four to six months to live. And it's this really tastefully, artistically done, um, very well-written um, fil- film about this older gentleman who, who didn't smell the roses along the way. And so now it's like, wow, what do I, what, what do, I do? He's like, I don't even know how to have, like, enjoy life or have fun anymore. And so now he, he meets these different people um, in, the, in the film. So anyways, naturally the audience is for elderly um, people that are kind of you know, how do you come to terms with accepting that your that, life is closer to ending than, than correct? Than and living. so uh-huh. it was it was really funny how, you know, I was like, you know, so I came in with like, you know, my hat backwards and my camo yeah. pants. Looking and I, like I you do. Yeah. Looking like, uh, no, it's it's not a typical hoodlum, you know, look. But um, and uh, so I was promoting I was filming the. Uh, the uh, opening of the film on my uh, Instagram promoting the film and it was only for a few seconds and then all of a sudden I feel my my shoulder is is tapped and an older lady like leans forward she's like I don't like that and I was anyways it was a really uh, interesting uh, encounter and actually it upset me I was like who does this lady think she is I was like she's actually my friend's mom I heard the same exact story yeah (laughs) A little different version, yeah. but um, I was like, who, who does she think? I was like, who does she think? And then I was like, you know what? And then and then I was stewing. Like I was like, if she touches my shoulder again, I was like, I'm gonna snap. And then and then I started watching the film. I was like, you know what? I was like, I was like, this film probably means a whole lot to her because you know she doesn't. I was like, everyone in the audience doesn't have much time left. I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna be that guy. You're like, I'm I'm not gonna fight an old person right now. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you know what? I was like, I'm gonna. You know it. what? I'm gonna enjoy this movie. You know, it's not worth it. It's, it's not worth fighting this old person. 
sweet. All right, the living or living. Yeah, There's no the living. 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 Yeah. Uh, Bree, do you have one? Yes, I do. Um, in addition to what we just, you know, we're talking about Infinity Pool, which I think is a fantastic movie. Another movie I saw recently in theaters was Shin Ultraman, which is a Japanese movie that is kind of a live action version of Ultraman. If you're familiar with that character, um, it was fantastic and it was one of some of the most fun i've ever had in a theater just because of how awesome and cool it looked um it's kind of a continuation of this universe that was started by shin godzilla which is the best modern godzilla movie ever made um directed by hideo uh forget his last name but he created neon genesis evangelion which is a very popular anime but uh shin ultraman who which he produced uh is just a fantastic japanese kind of live action version of the the kaiju kind of thing okay, that they yeah, have yeah, going yeah. on like mm-hmm. godzilla and the heroes that they have and cool. it's a great like kind of like a superhero movie but also kind of like an odd superhero movie yeah yeah, so. yeah. I really recommend that movie. Okay, awesome, sweet. Well, uh, to wrap, you don't that, have a movie. I do. Oh, I'm okay. saying to wrap that segment <laughs> up. Really nothing, quickly. nothing of note. What? <laughs> uh, no, one of the re- movies I watched recently uh, is a movie called Sprinter, and it's about a uh, this kid in a young kid from Jamaica, who is basically trying to make it as a sprinter and like their goal. Well, that sounds good. And their goal is like, I got to make it to, I got to sprint. I got to run for this. Whether it's to get out of like, basically to get out of whatever environment you're in, you know, it's kind of that story of like, you're, you know, that you're in this rough environment. You're in this, 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 whether it's a bad house or bad neighborhood. And it's to like, I'm going to get whether a scholarship to a college, like in the States or to get to the Olympics or whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. And I'm then running very, everywhere and I go very much. It's like, it's talked about the way they talk about it in the film is like how we talk about, you know, whether, whether it's to become whatever we, we yeah. define as success, you know what I mean? So they're very pat. Yeah. 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 They're very, very passionate, passionate and, about running and he has, you, you know, just put one foot in front of the other. Why, 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 you know, it's a good film, man. Yeah. I didn't, you didn't they, see me they, coming uh, up on your living movie being like, uh, yeah, oh did, yeah. Did the movie, people. was the movie so good that it killed you? <laughs> you know, Hey, back to, back to Zoolander. Right. <laughs> Like or no no Bruno like how do you how do you do it? Um, well, it's just you know like I just put one foot in front of the other and then I, I turn and like wow that must be like so stressful, like yeah it is actually. Yeah. Have you well, seen Bruno? Yeah. <laughs> I don't I I don't even know if you're talking about Zoolander or Bruno because you don't even know so I've seen Zoolander. Yeah, Bruno. I only turn left. We we don't talk about Bruno. Um. Anyway, Go Sprinter. Ahead. Sprinter is a good movie. It mm-hmm. definitely has this like indie, very low, like low budget kind of feel to it. But its story is very, even though the story is very simple, the performances are really good, and it was a cool peek into. It gets your heart running. Yeah, it gets into the peak. Uh, it gets a peek into the environment of like in, in Jamaica, and not just like the tourist aspect, you know, that you would maybe see or hear about or, like, the show, like, Death in Paradise, which is not based in Jamaica, but in the, those French Virgin Islands. It's, like, a peak in terms of, like, people, like, a family uh, living on the island and the difficulty of that. Um, and this kid trying to just find himself and find success and and find who he is, yeah. whether it's a sprinter or not. Yeah. Well, it doesn't sound like a run-and-gun film. Nice. All right, on that note, guys, unfortunately, we have come to the end of this episode of Cinedome's newest podcast, Cinephiliacs. As always, I'm your co-host, Daniel Scott DeJess, and next to me is... AK, guys. And can we have another large round of applause for our wonderful guest today, Brie Spieldinner. Thank you for showing up today. Uh, Where can we find you? Well, I am, you know, a person myself. Uh, you can look my name up on Facebook, I guess, if you wish, or on Instagram. If you want to follow any of my other things, my podcast, Murmurs from the Morgue, it's on all streaming platforms, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever have you. I have a makeup blog. Um, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, guys, look me up. if you liked any part of this conversation today with Brie, please check her podcast out, check her writings out, anything, her blog. I'm sure it's going to be just as great as Brie herself. 
Thank you. Thanks, guys. See you yeah. next time. Thanks. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>